You know, I can uh, just to say a quick word about the video. Um, I, I've I've laid eyes. I've never been to Tanzania, but I've laid eyes on places that, um, and I've, I've walked through neighborhoods where my clothes cost more than the houses that people were living in. Um, and I, y'all, Second Timothy has weighed so heavy on me this morning, so I'm I'm going to be emotional. Uh, my kids are going to be like, "What is wrong with my dad?" <laughs> because if you know me well enough, I'm not emotional. I'm pretty. I try to stay pretty le- even keeled, but uh, just let me encourage you. Um, most of you will never set foot in Tanzania. Um, most of you will never set foot in the places that I've been. Um, some of you have been to places that I will never set foot in. But when you when you give to IMB, you, you set foot in those places. Um, we're not called a body for no reason. We're all connected. We're all brothers and sisters. So when you support missionaries, when you support missions, you set foot in places where darkness reigns. And you, you enable light to enter places where um, it's very dark. Um, so just know that your money, when you give to, to a Southern Baptist Mission Fund, that, that it, is, it is going to a good place. Um, and the cool thing about, uh, and I'm not harping on our, our denomination, um, but the cool thing about the SBC convention is that when we do give money, it, it is, you have a part, you have a say-so. That's the cool thing about our convention is we have votes. And we have a convention each year that we can go to and we can see where that money's going. Um, so if you want to know where, where your IMB funding is going, it's not hard to figure it out. Um, I can help you do that. I'm sure Ms. Martha can help you as well. Um, one quick call to our state board of missions and they can tell you exactly where your dollars are going. Um, as, we, as we go into Lottie Moon season, um, and Ms. Martha, if I miss anything, you can catch me at the end and, and uh, you can stand up as well. But as we go into Lottie Moon, um, we're going to give a lot of gri- gifts this Christmas. You're going to receive a lot of gifts, but one of the greatest gifts you can give is, is to help a missionary not have to worry about next week and, and to help a missionary not worry about next month. Um, I've been there. I've seen it. Uh, they live tough lives, um, and it's coming, I'm telling you all. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a rough one. Just, just be, be aware. All right. Y'all open up uh, Scripture. Go to 2 Timothy. Um, I found out, let's see, I was watching a movie last night. I'm, I'm a night owl, okay? I, I stay up late. I was watching a movie on Netflix. Um, the text came in at 11.38. I saw the text at 12.40 in the morning. That tells you how late I stay up. I like to stay up late. Um, and uh, that's when I found out I was preaching this morning. So, <laughs> so just uh, bear with me. We're going to read through 2 Timothy. I want to I wanna honor the, the work that Ryan's done already. Um, and I want to continue... His path. We, we've got just a few weeks left in the year, and I don't want to, to waste this week and, and preach on something that's not in line with what he would have us preach. Um, Ryan has done an excellent job so far with bringing us to this point, and, and I, I just want to be faithful to the work he's done. So, so we're going to continue, um, and, and Ryan didn't have a say-so because he let me know at 1240, so I'm going to preach it anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I like Second Timothy. I like this book. I like Paul's letters. Um, this one is, is one of the more personal letters. Um, if you've got your little sheet that tells you some information, you'll see that on that sheet as part of the facts. As we read this letter, we're, we're just going to read through it. You know, I, again, I didn't have time to prepare fancy slides. Um, we're just going to read scripture. I'm not going to pretend that my preparation has something to do with the word that God does in your heart. God can work through your heart with 15 minutes of preparation on my part. Okay. I can prepare for 15 days and God could, could remove his hand from a message, all right? 
That has nothing to do with me. I want you to know that today. And if, if I'd have got this call 10 minutes ago, I'd have done it. You don't, you don't praise a heart surgeon for, for doing heart surgery at the last minute. That's what they do, all right? I love preaching God's word. That's what I've been called to do. I don't deserve any praise for this, all right? This is what I like to do. Um, I'm just doing what I've decided that, or what, what God's called me to do. So don't, um, uh, whatever happens today, um, I want God to be at the forefront. So we're going to read through 2 Timothy. This is where we are in our history series. Uh, we're, we're nearing the end uh, of the series. We're nearing the end of the, of the Bible, really. And, and we've, we've come a long way. Um, this is Paul's final letter. This is the last one he'll write. Um, he's imprisoned, and, and he knows that, that this is one of his last letters. And you, could, you can, I'm, I'm sorry, he knows that this is going to be his last. You can hear it in his, in his tone. Um, if you know anything about writing, um, you can hear the tone of somebody's heart through their words. You can, you can hear what, they, uh, what they're not saying. You can hear what's between the lines just by the, what the words are saying, just by the things that they're saying. So you'll be able to hear that, that Paul realizes that this is probably going to be his last letter. Um, he writes it to Timothy. Timothy is one of his dearest friends. Um, Timothy is, is his uh, mentee. Paul's been mentoring Timothy. Um, and they have they developed a deep friendship, not only as friends, but, but again, also as this mentor-mentee relationship. Um, Timothy is, is serving, and, and Paul is writing this last letter, and, and it gets super personal. Paul calls some people out. That's how personal it gets, okay? And we're going to see that. Um, Paul's imprisoned. Uh, he writes this from a jail cell. We don't know exactly where, but we think Troas, if that makes any difference to you, um, but we think that's where he was at. Doesn't really matter, um, but it's, it's cool to know. Um, and, and again, as we read through this, you'll see that Paul probably knows that these are going to be his last words. Um, how many of you have ever heard somebody's last words? My show of hands. It's, it's pretty. It's one of those moments where it, it's a sacred moment, right? You you hear last words and you realize that these are important words, right? Even if they're not the last words right before somebody dies. And maybe just the last words that somebody says to you. Um, I, when my grandfather passed, uh, my granddaddy Earl, um, not too long ago, um, granddaddy was not much about real deep conversations. If you knew my granddad, um, he, he was just the type that clawed for everything he had. He, uh, he, he always had dirt under his nails. Um, he barely had fingernails, you know. He was just that guy. He built his own stuff. Um, if a... If a sprayer cost him $50, he'd, pay, he'd, he'd buy $48 worth of stuff and build it on his own to save $2, okay? That's just how he was. And if y'all know my granddaddy, that's how he was. Um, he, he just believed in, in doing things his own way. And uh, it, it took me seven years to finish my bachelor's degree. You don't tell anybody, okay? Um, but it took me a long time. And uh, one of the last conversations I was having with my granddaddy was about my degree. And, and I could tell in his... In his Earlier, earlier times with our conversations about that, um, I think he just wanted me to stop. I really do. I think he was kind of like, well, I, I made it without a degree. Um, you can too. You know, kind of, again, that gritty um, manly man thing of I made it. I built my own stuff. You don't need that, right? Um, but I had finished. And, and about two weeks before my granddad passed, I had a conversation with him. And he told me he was proud of me uh, for finishing. And he meant it. I could tell he meant it. Um, and I could tell that, that in years earlier, he kind of thought that this ministry thing was, um, was a wasted effort. I think he wanted me to do something different, almost, uh, I don't know, to, to, to make a visible impact on the world. But he told me he was proud of me. 
He told me he, he wanted me to continue doing this. Um, and he said, if anything's worth doing, you better do it well, right? And that was, again, my granddad. And most of you men in here are that way as well. Uh, this is, no, this is not, not anything special for that generation, but that's how my granddad was. Um, and those were the last words I heard him say to me. Um, shortly after that, he passed, and we just didn't talk. We, uh, we, were in, uh, we, we were here. We were in Abbeville, but we just didn't, we didn't talk for a couple weeks. And then he, uh, I got a call from my grandmother, and he had passed. Um, and I went out there, and, and uh, you know, those were good last words for me. I think sometimes we have last words that are hurtful. Um, God forbid we do that to somebody else, but I know sometimes that happens. Um, but his last words were good. I'll always remember them. Um, these last words to Timothy from Paul are the same poignant words. Uh, they're the same words that you, that you read and you think, I better listen to this. I better write this down. I better take 2 Timothy to heart. Um, and I hope you'll do that today as we read through. These, these words are, um, are, are vital to Paul and his ministry uh, to Timothy. Uh, go ahead and pull your Bible. And, uh, and like I said, if you haven't turned to 2 Timothy, I'm going to give you just a second to get there. I want to say that I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Um, we had fried turkey for the first time. It was wonderful. Um, Black Friday was great. We didn't buy anything we didn't need. That was good. We bought some stuff, but you know. Um, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving as well, and uh, I hope you've had time to turn to 2 Timothy. So um, we're going to start. I'm going to read, um, let's see, we're just, we're just going to go through this, y'all, so just follow along. Uh, this is a good book. Again, these words speak way more than I can, so we're going to read through this, and kind of as we go, uh, we'll bring out the, the, good, the good gold stuff. Um, so let's start, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers days and day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. Paul typically starts letters off, and we do too. We start letters off with our to's and from's, right? Uh, to so-and-so, and that then, sincerely, so-and-so. And this is, this is kind of how Paul did it. He, he started off from Paul to Timothy. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, but the words contained again in this letter are, are vital, um, and, and again, I'm going to bring out, even, even from verse 5, just from the start, it's just so rich. Um, so just, just follow along. Let me pray for us, and, uh, and we'll dig into verse 5. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. God, I know that, as I said before, that my preparation really doesn't matter. <laughs> my, my, what, what type of socks I wore today does not matter. Um, the time that we had this service, the place that we had this service doesn't matter. God, what matters is that your word is preached because your word changes uh, hearts. Your word is, is described as a sword that cuts through bone and marrow. And, and God, I can't do that. Only you can. So God, I pray that you would, you would supersede this time, that you would, you would reign over this time, that your spirit would work in hearts. Even as we talk about just the mundane parts of this passage, uh, the seemingly uh, insignificant parts, God, that you would, you would reign over those and show us exactly what you would have us uh, to do and, and, and exactly how you would have us change. 
God bless this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so again, right off the bat, verse 5, we see this picture of, of Paul's relationship with Timothy. And, and again, these are, these are personal words. My beloved child, um, I thank God um, as I remember you constantly night and day in my prayers. I remember your tears. You don't, you don't experience tears with somebody and not have a personal relationship with them, right? I mean, we don't share tears with people that we don't trust. We don't. We don't do that. I mean, some people do, but I don't. I really don't. Maybe, maybe you do, and that's, that's different, but that's okay. Um, Paul expresses some very deep, deep love for Timothy, deep friendship. Um, he brings up in verse 5 this faith. Uh, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. You see this passing down of faith, and I wanted to start right there because that's what our youth ministry looks at. That's what our church as a whole looks at. Our faith is something that's meant to be passed down. Older men to younger men, older women to younger women. We've already talked about this. We mentioned this in Titus last week. Faith is something that's meant to be passed down. And you see this, and Paul doesn't mention men here. Paul mentions women, his grandmother and his mother, right? And I think a lot of times in church settings, we like to, we like to not marginalize. I don't want to use that word because it's overused. But, but the difference between women and men is it's kind of this line in the sand, right? But Paul mentions women here. And Paul mentions the value of women stepping in in, in young boys' and men's lives. And sometimes that faith carries over. It's important. That's not a political statement. It's just a statement from Scripture. I'm not stating and asserting my political beliefs to you. I'm telling you that Paul recognizes that Timothy's faith comes from his grandmother, which was passed down to Eunice, his mother, which was passed down to him. And I think that's worth mentioning, personally. Moms, you've got a huge, especially moms of boys, <laughs> you've got, and I know, I know girls can be tricky too, but boys, that's a, it's a different beast, right? I mean, we've got two, and they're nuts, right? Landon's pretty, Landon's pretty normal. Zeke's crazy. <laughs> Zeke, Zeke, sometimes I look at that child and think, you're either going to be the president or a prisoner, right? You're going to be one or the other, right? You're going to change the world for good or for bad. Um, you're not going to float through life. Um, but no, and I look at my wife, and I look at even, even Zeke's grandmothers and the way that, he, that they put into him and pour into him. Uh, ladies, y'all have a huge, huge job. You're valuable. Um, don't feel like you're not. I guess that's the point of, of verse 5. Paul mentions that, and I think it's for a reason. Um, uh, that, that faith is passed down there, and, and that's an that's a excellent picture. Continuing on, verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fan into flame that spirit. I, I, I think about Andy Bush when I think about this. Have you ever seen Andy Bush crank up a leaf blower and fan a flame? Have you ever seen that? Anybody seen that? Um, we've had like different events, like with the youth and maybe the RAs and stuff like that, where we've had trouble starting a fire and he's like, oh, I'll just go get my leaf blower. And he gets up, cranks it up, puts it right up by the fire and just blows it. And that, that flame is like, you know, white hot, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not just red hot. It's like fist and burn through the bottom of the core of the earth hot, just hot, hot, right? Fan into flame. That's, that's this, this idea here. Fan your, your faith into flame. 
It's not, a, and, and obviously leaf blowers weren't around then. So you had to use the little puffers, which I don't even know if those were around. I'm sure they were of some sort, but you had to fan the flame. It took a while, right? Paul's saying work. Keep that faith going. Your, your grandmother, your mother passed it down. Fan it. Keep it going. Don't let those embers die. It takes work. You're going to see that in, in, in chapter 2 as well. Um, God gave us the spirit. This is often a, a misquoted verse, but verse 7, God gave us the spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. I think sometimes it's smart to be afraid, right? Let's, let's be honest. Um, you, weren't, you weren't made to go shake hands with a grizzly bear. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay for, to let fear inspire you to run from something that you need to run from, okay? But what Paul's saying here is, hey, God didn't give you a, spi- a spirit of fear. God gives you a power, a, a, a spirit of power, love, self-control. When we have fear in our hearts, it prevents us from fanning into flame our faith. See, fear is the antithesis of faith. It is. So when we fan into flame our fears, which that's easy for us to do if you're honest with yourself, because we're, we're, we're really, we're, we're, it's easy for us to talk doubt into our own situations. It's easy for us to, to entertain these thoughts of, I don't know, I don't know, what, I don't know how this is going to work out, Right? Maybe God's calling me into the mission field, and I've, I've enjoyed watching Elizabeth Witt deal with some of this stuff. Like, well, is God calling me to, to a dangerous place? Is, is God calling me to do this? I've, I've experienced that. My wife said, some of you experienced that. Is God really calling me to do this? And we fan fear into flame, right, with our doubts. Like, I, I just don't know. I don't know if God wants me to do this. I don't know if God wants me to talk to my neighbor. I don't know if God wants me to confront my family member. When Paul would say to Timothy, God has not put that spirit inside of you. God's put a spirit of power inside of you, of love, of self-control. The issue is what are we flaming or what are we fanning, right? Which flame are we fanning? Paul would continue. Um, and, and by the way, for you English and, and literary nerds, that, that is your thesis statement for 2 Timothy right there. Um, that, is, that is what Paul would kind of harp on the rest of 2 Timothy is that spirit um, of power and self-control. <clears throat> Verse 8, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So Paul's saying, hey, God gave you a spirit of power, so don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed, Timothy. <laughs> don't be ashamed. As you walk through your life, and especially for Timothy in this day, we've got to think about context here. Especially for Timothy in this day, Timothy's a young dude, right? This whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing is fledgling, okay? At best, it's fledgling. Paul's saying, you're going to experience some stuff, but God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of God. Don't be ashamed of the work he's done in you. And don't be ashamed of me, Paul. He mentions that, and, and I want to show you why he mentions that in a minute. Um, it could be easy to be ashamed of Paul at this point, because Paul spent some time in the pen, okay? He spent time in prison, uh, and some, some of his friends were deserting him, wondering if some of these accusations that, that were being lodged against him were true, right? We've talked about some of those uh, with the youth when we studied Titus. There were some people saying that Paul was a liar. There were some people saying that he didn't know what he was talking about, that he was crazy, um, 
And some of his friends were deserting him. But Timothy's saying, hey, believe in me. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm just following the Lord is what he, what he said to Timothy. He mentions this good deposit. Um, as we, again, I'm, I'm going to kind of skip when we need to, not, not need to skip, but I'm going to skip some. Um, so just, again, just roll with it, okay? That's, that may be the, the title of today. Roll with it, all right? <laughs> just roll with it. Some of us are still in food comas from Thanksgiving, so roll with it, all right? Um, verse 10, And now which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. And this is key in verse 12. This, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, I, I know that I'm suffering for God, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of that. I know that I'm in this prison because of God, because of my faith in him. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I, I only hope that I could be there um, if I were put in prison. I don't know. Uh, there's a key nugget there in verse 10. Why should we not be ashamed? And, and the answer is always the gospel. But, but Paul brings that up there. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit, again, in verse, verse 14, Paul says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that's entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. He's talking about his faith. And again, anytime you hear Timothy's faith, you should always think about Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and his mother. Uh, and even Paul. Paul put a lot of, of work into, into Timothy. Paul saying, hey, you've been entrusted with, with good teaching. You've been entrusted with faith. Guard it. Through the Holy Spirit, guard that. I've got to adjust for a second, y'all. This thing is driving me nuts. All right, there we go. Guard the good deposit entrusted with you. Paul mentions in verse 15, we're going to skip this, but he mentions a couple of guys um, that turned away from him. Um, and again, that's where you see this personal aspect of this letter. When Paul starts calling people out, it's personal. Um, and he calls out two guys here in verse 15. He says, hey, these guys turned away from me. These were some of the ones that, that maybe believed the accusations against Paul or maybe just had the question of, hey, dude, why do you spend so much time in prison? <laughs> and if we had a family member that was constantly in and out of prison, we may ask the same thing. Like, hey, why, why do you spend so much time in prison? You know, like, what, what have you been doing? Um, and Paul would say, hey, I've just been preaching the gospel. I've just been doing what God's called me to do. But you know how rumors go, right? You know how word travels. And I think word traveled and some of his friends had deserted him which is a tragedy. But again, you see, this, you see this word from Paul to Timothy, hey, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of this faith. You may end up in prison too, Timothy, but do not be ashamed. Your friends may desert you, Timothy, but do not be ashamed. Guard the deposit that's been given to you. And again, um, verse 16, Paul says, he often refreshed me, talking about God. Uh, he wasn't, or he's talking about his friend, um, Onesiphorus. Good luck with that one. Um, he mentions one of his friends that, that actually stood by him and that refreshed him in times of need. I pray that we would be that for each other. Um, chapter 2. Uh, again, don't, don't forget that, again, that thesis statement. God gives us not a spirit of fear, but of power, um, uh, of love, and of self-control. As Paul gets into chapter 2, um, you, you, you read this and you realize that the illustrations he uses, 
kind of gives us a perspective of how grace does this for us. It's easy for us to say, hey, just, just trust God's grace, right? Just rest and, and believe in God's grace. But I'm always a guy that's that sticking my hand up and saying, how do I do that? How do I do that? <laughs> that's very vague to me. Trust God's grace. How do I do that? What do I do, right? Or is, am I speaking to anybody? Like, are any of you guys on, on the same wavelength? Or any of you, the how people that are like, hey, how do we do this thing? <laughs> this sounds great, but how are we going to do it? Um, Paul gives us a pretty good illustration here. Um, he, he talks about this, um, these three different men. And, and uh, I don't know, again, this, this is where I ugly wept today, y'all, when I was reading through this passage. And, and just the, the realization that Second Timothy is not so much about Again, just this vague idea of trusting the grace of God, but it's about preparation. It's about how you prepare yourself. Um, I wanted to read this before we go into second, uh, the second chapter there. Um, I wanted to read this hymn. Um, and it really speaks more into verse 12 if you, if, if, if you go back to verse 12 in chapter 1. But the whole, um, the whole book of Second Timothy, I think, really... This speaks into it. This is how firm a foundation. It's, it's hymn 275 in your hymnals. Um, if, you, if you're taking notes, just jot it down. Um, I don't know what that was. Um, but um, just reading through this, this was an anonymous hymn. We don't know who wrote this. We have no idea. Um, on the bottom of your hymnal, it'll say traditional American melody. We don't know who wrote it. But I can tell you that we're human. I can tell you that I can relate to some of this stuff. So just Listen. I just want you to listen to this hymn. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to, than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I will strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to continue and gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus had leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, never forsake. And I ugly wept when I read that this morning. Um, when, you, when you get into chapter 2 and, and you see these illustrations of how this grace sets that firm foundation. Just, just let me read it. Just, let's just read it. <laughs> chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You still hear this personal touch. You then, my child. Um, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, again, that's where I raise my hand and say, how do I do that, Paul? How? How does that work? Verse 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Listen to these illustrations. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I will say or what I have said, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Again, 
just thinking on that hymn, that's a real person that wrote that, right? Writing about, you can hear, again, you can hear the struggle there. You don't just write something like that just on a good day, right? Um, maybe when you, you just, I don't know, got a good deal or something or got great news. This, this hymn, How Firm a Foundation, comes from seemingly a time that's kind of the low, right? It's the pit. It's not a good time. So how do we allow this grace that Paul's talking about here? When he says, uh, be strengthened by the grace that is, Christ, that is in Christ Jesus, how do we do that? God, how do I do that? <laughs> Just tell me how, right? And I think it was clear when Paul, at the end of this passage, this little, this little passage in chapter 2, when he says, hey, think on this. Think on it. Just think about it. I thought about these three illustrations that Paul gives. He gives a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. So let's think about those. Paul doesn't do anything without, and God's word doesn't do anything without intention, okay? So I may say Paul, but I'm really talking about God's word. God inspired Paul to write this, all right? So these, these three illustrations are not without intention. There's something there. There's some meaning there. So think about it. What, what is, what's the, what's the uh, equal ground, I guess? And I would say it's preparation. I'd say it's preparation. How are we strengthened in the grace that God's given us? I think we prepare to be strengthened. I think it's a preparation issue. You see, a soldier doesn't just jump off a plane or walk, walk to the plane one day and strap on a parachute and say, let's do this thing, guys. Let's go. I don't even know how to turn the safety off my gun, but let's go do it. You know, I don't even have any ammo, but let's go do this thing. Right? That doesn't work. I can personally tell you that an athlete does not not train and show up for a race and think that he's going to do it, that he's going to cross the finish line. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't show up for the Olympics and sign your name and say, I've never really thrown a discus in my life, but let's see how it goes. You know, let's see how this thing works. Or even worse, you get on one of those high jump poles. I'm just going to see how it works. I hope you got a good insurance policy, right? Because that thing's going to hurt you. Now think about a farmer. Maybe that hits closer to home here. But I wouldn't walk out to the field and just stick my foot in it and say, well, I can't wait on this crop to grow up. I can't wait to see how much peanut I produce, cotton I produce. I haven't put any work into it, right? I haven't prepared anything. I haven't planted anything. I haven't tilled the soil. I haven't prepared the soil. I haven't fertilized it. I haven't watered it. I haven't spent any time on it, right? Paul uses these three illustrations, and I believe, personally, this is opinion, that he uses these three illustrations because he intends for us to see that grace is not something that immediately happens. That God's work in grace in our lives is not something that we can just ask for the lifeline whenever times get tough. Or whenever we're faced with a decision to sin or to live righteously. Grace doesn't just step in and say, all right, this is what you should do. See you later. Right? When we get that phone call that, hey, you've got cancer or a loved one's got cancer, or a loved one that's just passed away. We can't just say, all right, Grace, I need you. Come on in. Back up. Let's go. B team. And then Grace helps us get over it. And then just, all right, I'll put you in the drawer. I'll come back later. No, Paul's saying that Grace is something that we are, are marinated in. I'm still thinking about Thanksgiving. Marinated. Grace is something that we soak in. 
so that when we get to that point where we have sin and righteousness in front of us, grace has already made that preparation for us. Just like a field that's already been tilled and planted and seeded and watered, when we get to that place, God's grace steps in and says, hey, that sin's not worth it. Look at what I paid for you. Right? We have that phone call. And again, it's, maybe it's not a good health report or maybe it's a, a bad health report for a family member. Grace steps in and says, hey, I know this is difficult, but don't give up. Don't give up. I've paid so much for you. I've paid so much for you. When we soak in that, we don't have to rely on grace as a last-ditch last effort, like a, a, a life ring, right? Grace becomes who we are. It becomes how we operate. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy here. Be a good soldier. Soldiers don't just jump off a plane, y'all. Farmers don't just step foot in the field and say, hey, I'm just going to grow something. No. A good soldier prepares. A good athlete prepares. A good farmer prepares. That's what Paul would have for Timothy here. Verse 8, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. <laughs> Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also gain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And I love this. If we die with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. Again, Paul is just driving home this idea of, hey, marinate in what God's done for you. <laughs> this gift that Jesus has done for you, soak in that. When these tough times come, they're going to be tough. They're going to be difficult. You're going to shed some tears. But don't rely on God's grace when times get, get, get tough. I think that's the, that's the message here. How do we do that? How do we, again, I think there's more that needs to be explained. How does that, what does that look like? Like, again, I'm that kid in the back that's like, all right, God, what does that actually look like for me to do, right? I get it, but what, what, what does it look like? What color is it? You know, like, where's it at on the shelf? Tell me exactly what to do. Paul goes a little bit further. He talks about a worker that's approved by God. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble. And I love the different translations there. A lot of different biblical translations have different words for that, that babble word there. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like what? Somebody tell me what that says. Like gangrene. I don't, I don't know about, I've never seen gangrene. I don't want it. <laughs> I know that. I mean, I know when you get gangrene, something's coming off, right? Something that's vital to your body has got to come off if you get gangrene. I don't think it's curable. Some of y'all medical folks are like, uh, it is. But to me, it's not curable. It's like, don't get it, right? So Paul likens irreverent talk to gangrene. Like, hey, if, it, if you get it in your finger, guess what? Your finger's got to come off. It's got to come off. Why? Because that junk's going to spread. And next thing you know, your arm's got to come off. Next thing you know, you may be dead, right? You cut it off. Paul's saying, hey, cut off this irreverent talk. Cut it off. Don't be ashamed of, of speaking truth. Again, you see this, this not a spirit of fear here. You see a spirit of power. Don't be ashamed to speak the truth, Timothy. 
Do not be ashamed to speak the truth. Irreverent talk, these debates, all this, this hoopla, this gossip, this slander, that's like gangrene. Cut it off. Cut it off. Just quit. Stop. Tell your people to stop, Timothy. Tell your leaders to stop. If it's not truth, cut it out. It's pretty tough. But I'm sorry, when Paul likens something to gangrene, he means it, right? I mean, we don't compare stuff to gangrene and not mean it. Again, you see this personal touch. Um, Paul mentions a couple of other men who have swerved from the truth. Um, he mentions in verse 20 about honorable and dishonorable things uh, within a household. Some are made of gold, some are made of silver, some are made, are made of wood, some are made of clay. Um, modern day equivalent, I would say some are made of porcelain in your house. Okay? These dishonorable things, they reside in your bathroom. And you use them for things that you wouldn't really want to carry out of the bathroom. Y'all tracking? Right? Some things are honorable. Like ladies, maybe, I, I don't know, like a prized piece of jewelry or a prized casserole dish. I don't know. Guys, like, a, like a, or your favorite gun. I don't know. Some of these things are honorable. Right? But Paul likens the dishonorable to like a toilet. He really does. To things that you really don't really talk about. Um, he says there's, there's some things that, that are honorable for use. There's some things that are dishonorable. So for us, what he likens us to is, hey, don't make yourself a dishonorable vessel. Again, you wouldn't carry your toilet and put it, put it by your, your dining room table and expect somebody to sit on it. That's dishonorable, right? It's not honorable. Um, I couldn't imagine, like, Thanksgiving, how that would play out. Like, all right, you're the guest of honor. Like, you've never come to Thanksgiving. You haven't come to Thanksgiving in 10 years. We're going to put you on the toilet. <laughs> and then bring out a little toilet seat crown and put on their head or something, you know, like, I'd leave. I'm not sitting on that toilet. You know, like, Paul's saying, don't make yourself dishonorable. But if you are dishonorable, guess what? You can cleanse yourself. You can become honorable. Again, how do we do that? Paul, <laughs> explain, please. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. How do we cleanse ourselves, Paul? Verse 22, flee, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Step alongside those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know what they breed, or you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with the coolest comment on Facebook, right? No, with gentleness. With the funniest meme on Facebook? No, even though they're funny. You correct opponents with gentleness. We mentioned this in Sunday school this morning about apologetics with the youth. Why? Why do we correct opponents with gentleness? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his good will. So again, Paul, why are we doing this, man? Like, why can't I just shut my opponents down? Like, why can't I just, you know, hit them with some biblical truth and drop the mic and walk off? Because these people that we're, that we're dealing with, that are, that are dishonorable vessels in our lives, God may choose to make them honorable vessels. So part of this grace working out in us, again, that we've been soaking in and marinating in, 
enables us to have conversations even with our opponents that are seasoned with gentleness. Even with our enemies, people that may hate us. We can have conversations with them. We can debate with them in a gentle way. Why? Because God may choose to lead them to repentance. Guess what? God, I mean, these people are going to have a hard time with repentance and, and, and swallowing the truth about your God if you're rude to them. Mike always had a saying, if you're, if you're, uh, you can be right, but if you're rude, you're wrong. I love that. Brother Mike Witt, by the way. You can be right, but if you're rude, you're wrong. How true that is. And, and, and there it is there. I mean, he didn't come up with that. It's here. But understand this, Timothy, uh, chapter 3. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I think that last one is the nail for me. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Church, I'm afraid that we get here. And that's what broke me today. Was I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about our church. I'm just talking about our church as a whole. The, the universal body of Christ. I'm afraid that we get here. I'm afraid that we get at this place where we act godly, but the power's not there. We talk about grace. We share some, some cool stuff on Facebook and real catchy, talk, like, little memes about grace. We may even put a smile on our face, but there's no power. Inside, we're afraid. Inside, we're afraid of what other people are thinking about us. Inside, we're afraid to do what God's actually asked us to do. We're afraid to let go of that sin that God's saying, hey, this is a problem in your life. You need to let it go. And we're afraid on the inside. Man, we're talking about grace. Well, that grace. But you haven't soaked in it. I've been there. I've been there. I'm still there. I still have days. <laughs> I may be a pastor. I may be a shepherd in front of you. But I'm a person, y'all. I have days. I have weeks. I have months, even. I've been there. Paul's saying, soak in that grace. Don't have that spirit of fear. You've been given a spirit of power, right? Just like that farmer that's prepared that field and sees that crop grow up and that feeling inside. Like when you cut your grass for the first time in the spring and you get it all done up and you step back and you look and you're like, hmm, this is good right here. This is it. You know, this is just shy of a fried turkey on Thanksgiving, right? Or that favorite gift that you get for Christmas. When you step back and look at it, and, and that grace is soaked in you, into you, and you realize this is it, right? This is that power God's talking about. When, I, when I'm faced with the ability or the decision to be arrogant to somebody, and that grace takes over and says, no, God's paid for them too. Yeah, God's paid for you, but God's paid for them too. Don't be arrogant, right? When you're faced with the decision to be a lover of self or lover of money, God says, hey, grace is more valuable than money. Your money's not going to get you much. And guess what? You leave it here. You're going to fill a grave one day. Your money's not going with you. It's going to be here. Slanderous. Without self-control. 
not loving good. <laughs> Some of us are like, this kind of covers everything, right? This passage kind of covers everything that we may deal with. Paul's saying just lay it down. Let grace take over it. Let it go. That's not, that's not a Christian. Avoid such people. Three words, pretty powerful. Avoid those types of people. I don't have to preach that. I mean, that's, that's easy. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. By the way, God, uh, God's word is not diminishing women there as much as saying just how wretched men can be, okay? Just be clear out there. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And I think, again, just from apologetics of what we've been talking about with our students, you know, it seems like our culture is always learning. There's always these new ideas, but we never arrive at, hey, what's the truth, right? What's actual truth? Like, what can I take to the bank and cash in? Like, we had the Big Bang, we've had evolution, and then science has come out and said, well, those things aren't really true. Right? It's knowledge, though, right? Knowledge is power. Not really. What's the truth? What's the truth? Verse 9, they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all, as it was with those two men. Again, Paul takes it personally. He's talking about the two men that he was mentioning earlier. Uh, Another, and I'm just going to skip. We're out of time, but Second Timothy three sixteen. That's a pretty commonly quoted scripture as well. All scriptures breathed out by God and pro- profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I would say that that's my hope for this church. That's my hope for our youth, for my kids, for my wife, for myself. That we would we would fall so in love with with this word and with our God. And that, that we would soak in his grace and that we would, we would meditate on the fact that he's paid for us so much that we would be complete, that we would be full. It's like when something comes along that, that we think that we need more than God, we're like, no, nah, I'm already full. I'm good. No, nah, I'm good. When that potential for um, deceit comes along or for uh, unrighteous gain, if it be money, uh, an affair, whatever it may be, when that thing comes along, you're like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm complete. God's got me. I got grace. What else do I need? That's my hope for you. That's, I know Philip as well, Ryan as well, as, as shepherds over you, which by the way, we're, we're all three pastors. Let me, let me say that. We're shepherds. That's our hope for you. As we lead you guys, like my hope is for you to get to the place to where when that stuff comes, when, when, when things are offered up as a silver platter in, in front of you that are sinful, that you say, no, I'm good. I'm complete. I'm full. I got God. I got his grace. What do I need? When somebody whispers over and leans in your ear and says, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? No, I don't want to hear that. That's, I'm good. Take that junk somewhere else, right? Take that gossip somewhere else. Hey, I know how you can make some quick money. You may have to cheat a little bit on your taxes. You may have to do this, rearrange some money with your accountant, but, you know, not technically legal, but, hey, it's money, right? No. Money's not, I got grace. I got God's grace. I don't need money that bad, right? 
See, when you're complete, when you're equipped for every good work, that word complete there means that you don't need anything else. Again, like Ryan said a couple weeks ago, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? I don't need anything else other than grace. I don't need anything else other than Jesus. I'm complete when I have Jesus. I don't need anything else. I don't. Young people, all the way up to senior adults, y'all, that's where we need to be. That's where Paul is commending Timothy. Hey, get to this place to where grace is it for you, dude. Get to this place where no matter what happens around you, grace is it. That's it. Jesus is it. The work he's done, that's it. The gospel, that's it. I don't need anything else. Nothing. Paul offers, and I, this, is, this is where I'll, I'll begin to close. I know we've got two minutes left. I'm aware. Chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Be ready at 1240, midnight, you know, to preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is the weird part, y'all. And I mentioned that the church is getting there, and, and we're, in a lot, of way, a lot of ways we're already there. We get to these places where we like this stuff so much that Paul says to flee from, that we hire people that are going to tell us it's, it's okay to do those things. That's, that's the really weird part about where we're at. And this is nothing new. Don't get me wrong. This was happening then, and it's happening now. But sometimes we like the stuff that goes against God's word so much that we're willing to hire people to preach to us those things and say, it's okay. Sure, do what you want to do. This great stuff, don't worry about it. This righteousness stuff, God's changed. His opinions have changed. Paul saying, Timothy, preach the truth. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And he essentially says, man, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. I'm about to be poured out as an offering. That's what he means, I'm about to die. So continue. Be an evangelist. Continue. Keep working. Uh, again, I, I'm afraid that, that again, not, at our, not, not necessarily, like we're not, you know, I don't, I don't, want, I don't I want you to think that we're like rampant sinners here, okay? But you know where you are in your heart. You do. I, and I'd ask you just during this time to implore yourself, implore your heart, and just ask yourself, do I hold these things that Paul mentions that I need to flee from? In my life, am I saying that these things are okay? Am I surrounding myself with, myself with people that are telling me that these things are okay? We do that. It's okay. I've done it. I've been there. Paul says that's like gangrene. You've got to cut it off. You've got to cut it off. It's painful. You're going to have to tell people, hey, we can't talk about this anymore. You have to tell people, hey, we can't be friends anymore if we're going to continue these conversations. You may have to tell your spouse, hey, we're not going to do these things anymore in our house. Kids, you may have to tell your friends, hey, I'm not going to talk this way anymore. I'm not going to play these video games anymore. I'm not going to gossip anymore. You've got to cut it off. Paul saying, Timothy, this grace is worth it. It's worth it. In church, I'd say that to you. I think if he wrote this letter to us, he'd say, hey, 
Your degrees are not worth it. Your careers are not worth it. Your cars are not worth it. Even your families, the stuff you built, your houses, they're not worth it. Are they good? Absolutely. All good things come from God. But grace is the best thing. This work that Jesus has done is the best thing. Leave that junk behind. All that other stuff, cut it off. It's going to kill you. That's what God hit me with this morning so deeply. That, that this work of grace is not something we can just re- rely on in the last minute. And in this invitation time, I want you to, again, implore your heart. Is that, is that what you've been doing? Is that where you've been? It's just coasting through life. Everything's great and gravy until I get to these bad points. And then I cry out, hey, God, I need some grace. I need some mercy. I messed up again. When Second Timothy would say, no, soak yourself in grace. So when you get to those points, it's not a cry for help. It's like, oh, I got this. God's got me. Right? When I'm faced with that decision to sin, Why? Why do I need to sin? I got grace, right? God, Jesus already paid for me. Employ your hearts, y'all. God said this so heavy on my heart this morning. I'm telling you, I ugly cried in that office. Ask my wife after this how many times I've ugly cried in my life. This morning, God hit me with the fact that the grace that I trust in is not meant to be uh, called like a lifeline on how to be a millionaire, Right? Some of y'all don't even know what that is anymore. That's strange, but grace is not meant to be like that. Grace is meant to be something that when we wake up and we set our feet off that bed in the morning, we know God's got me. He's got me. No matter what I deal with, he's going to hold me fast. No matter what. God loves me so much that he's going to hold me fast. So employ your hearts today during this invitation time. I want to encourage you. Um, I'm going to be down front. But don't come to me. Don't come to me if you need to pray. Find that brother or sister that's close to you that you know that you can share something with and grab them and pray, pray with them, right? Y'all don't need me, okay? <laughs> Y'all got each other. Y'all got brothers and sisters here that can pray with you. Share something with them. Share struggles together, y'all. Um, that's part of what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy as well. We didn't get to cover it, but um, he talks about sharing struggles together. During this invitation time, do that. Maybe, maybe you don't know what grace is. Maybe you've just been band-aiding your life every time something bad happens, and you think things are good, but you don't know for sure. Then, yeah, come talk to me. Come talk to Philip. When Ryan gets better and he gets back in the office, come talk to him. Our hope for you, and I, I know I speak for Philip, I know I speak for Ryan, is that you would be complete. That no matter, again, from the time you set foot on that floor off, off of your bed or your rocking chair, wherever you sleep, to the time when you lay your head down, that you'd be complete. God's got me. That you would rest. That the peace of God would just flow through you in your life. That's our hope for you. And if that's not where you are, then Second Timothy would say, hey, you've got to get some stuff right. So do that today as we, as we sing this song.